Good morning, everybody. So good to see you all here. And uh, just thank you, uh, Dylan and team, for leading us in worship music this morning. Beautiful, beautiful time this morning. And as Dylan said, I want to encourage you to, to join us uh, for our uh, fellowship and food and prayer night this Tuesday night. Uh, this is a great way to get to know uh, new people and, and get to know other people in the church and just to be a church family and to do what the Lord has called us to do by praying together. There will be child care, and, um, and if you don't particularly think you're good at praying, join the club, okay? Uh, this is not for professional prayers. Uh, this, is, this is for us to come together and uh, lift our requests to, to God together. And if you don't even want to pray out loud, you don't have to do that. So don't, please don't let that keep you from coming. We just want you there. We love you. Um, Romans 3.23, the Apostle Paul wrote this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Don't freak out back there. I didn't give you this verse. You're fine to put up there. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And then that next verse is sweet, verse 24. And are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And where did that grace come from? Where did the gift come from? Where did Jesus come from? The next verse says, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Wow. God loves you. <laughs> you need to know that. God doesn't do this for people he doesn't love. And it is this, this, this concept, this reality of the grace of God that separates the message, the gospel of Jesus Christ from every other religious system in the world. It really is. The idea that God shows undeserving people grace you're not going to find that except in Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus, the gospel means good news. It's also called the gospel of grace. Because in the gospel, we see that Jesus' perfect life, which he lived on earth, and, and his death for the sin of people which atoned for our sin and his resurrection from the dead. In all of those things, this is how God provides us the grace that we need to be rescued from sin. And not only does God provide that, this is what he does. He, he offers the grace to us. And then even more than that, he takes the grace and applies it to us to make us born again. And so trusting in the grace that God offers us in Jesus Christ is essential to the Christian faith. It's essential to following Jesus. 
And grace does not allow room for us to trust in anything else but God. So either salvation is a gift, either it is truly a gift of grace from God given to us through the finished work of Jesus on our behalf, or salvation from our sin and our guilt and our shame and our past in a relationship with God is, is not a gift from God. It's, it's something that we can try to attain through our own works. We can try to get God if we work hard enough. And again, that is what every religious system in the world throughout history has been based on, that God, making God happy is something you can try to do and you must try to do through your own hard work. But only the gospel of grace, only the gospel of Jesus, the message of Jesus, says that God's son Jesus made God happy for us in our place as a gift to us. And so the only thing we can do is put our faith in that grace, in Jesus. And this good news that, that we can be forgiven of our sin, that we can be made right with God through faith, um, is only uh, because of God's grace alone that he offers this, right? But it, it, is, it has been, it was in the early church, one of the key distinctives of their teaching. Totally foreign concept to all the other religions at, at that time in the ancient Roman world. This is what Paul said. I mean, he, right, the, 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 he was, in much of the New Testament, he's writing letters to churches to try to teach them their truth and to get them to know these distinctives of the Christian faith. And Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, most of you uh, have heard this maybe. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not your own doing, it is the gift of God. Not a result of works so that no one may boast. No one has any grounds to boast before God. No one could say, well, I did this, 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 this. No, you didn't do anything except bring sin into the world. <laughs> and preserving this gospel of God's grace in Jesus Christ, it was so crucial to the apostles and to Paul that he wrote to the Christians in Galatia this. He said, get this, hear this. Even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we already preached to you, let him be accursed. Let him go to hell, okay? As we've said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Wow, so real quick, Paul says, I can't change the gospel. Get that? Boy, if there was one person in the history of the church who thought who could change something doctrinally about the church, it would be the Apostle Paul. But he's saying, listen, if even you ever hear anything from me other than the gospel that I gave you, let me be accursed. That's what he's saying. Now, even in light of these warnings, which is, is really interesting, you know, Paul's saying, don't leave the gospel, don't leave this message of salvation by God's grace through faith. Even in light of that, many Christians were tempted to abandon the gospel and to quickly incorporate elements of works righteousness religion, right? And in the story of the two past 2,000 years, parts of the story of, our, of, 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 uh, of the Christian religion in the past 2,000 years have been 
has, has been one of many so-called Christians perverting the gospel of Jesus, sadly, by abandoning the message of God's grace and exchanging it for a message of self-righteousness that can be attained through good works and through merit. But even though some people have turned from the gospel of Jesus, you guys, this is one of the reasons why this is so important, okay? We're so thankful that we have the Bible which has preserved the truth of the gospel for us through the centuries, no matter which way people have gone, okay? This doesn't change. <laughs> the gospel doesn't change. God's word doesn't change. And we are really, truly blessed to have it in our English language because so many people don't. And we're really, truly blessed to live in a country where most of us have the opportunity to learn how to read if we want to read. You know, that's why... The education system was started largely in America to teach kids how to read the Bible so they could read God's word for themselves and not have to rely on anybody else but to come to the word. And no matter how human societies and cultures have changed through the centuries, the Bible has remained the same and praise God for that. So this morning what we're going to do is we're going to open this Bible and we're going we're to revisit Acts 15, which, which describes a very important meeting that took place among, among the first Christians about the meaning of grace. And the apostles, the apostles, they understood grace to mean that we are saved through faith in Jesus alone because Jesus did all the work necessary to make us right with God. But at the same time that they were preaching that, some false teachers popped up in the various churches throughout the empire and started making a lot of trouble. And they were teaching that grace actually means that God has given us grace and that we can be saved. And so you must trust in the work of Jesus, but also you've got to do certain works that contribute to the work of Jesus. If you got your Bible with you, let's, let's check out this conversation that happened in Acts 15, verse 1. One of the most important church meetings in history. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you for your word and thank you for your truth. Thank you for the gospel of grace that you've given to us. And I pray that uh, this wouldn't just m merely be a, an abstract kind of theological concept that's out there, but that we would... We would treasure this gospel and everything that it means for us. We would treasure your grace that uh, you have pursued us even though we've tried to run from you. That you died for us while we were still sinners. That you give grace and love and blessed favor to those who don't deserve it. What an awesome God you are, Jesus. Please teach us now, Holy Spirit. Work in our hearts and our minds and protect us from evil. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we're gonna, what we're going to do, two weeks ago, we already, I, I already preached one sermon on this uh, passage, and today we're, we're going to kind of do part two of that. But um, I'm going to just read this one big chunk, because so it's really important that we get the context here. Um, this is Acts 15. This is right around the exact same time the Apostle Paul wrote the letter to the Galatians. Um, he either wrote it right before this or right after this. <clears throat> Acts 15, 
Acts 15.1. But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you're circumcised according to the, Mo- the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the brothers. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. And all the assembly fell silent. And they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. After they finished speaking, James replied, Brothers, listen to me. Simeon has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written, After this I will return and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins and I will restore it, that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from of old. Therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality and from what has been strangled and from blood. For from ancient generations, Moses had, has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he has read every Sabbath in the synagogues. Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They sent Judas, called Barsabbas, and Silas, leading men among the brothers with the following letter. The brothers, both the apostles and the elders, to the brothers who are of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia, greetings. Since we have heard from, uh, since we have heard that some persons have gone out from us and troubled you with words, Unsettling your minds, although we gave them no instructions. It has seemed good to us, having come to one accord, to choose men and send them to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We've therefore sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will tell you the same things by word of mouth. For it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements, that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols, and from blood, and from what has been strangled, and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Farewell. So when they were sent off, they went down to Antioch, and having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter, and when they read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. And Judas and Silas, who were themselves prophets, encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. And after they had spent some time, they were sent off in peace by the brothers to those who had sent them. 
But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. So it was at this council in Jerusalem that the apostles clarified that God rescues people from judgment for their sin because of God's grace alone. That's why he does it, because of God's grace alone, and it's received through faith in Jesus alone. So we see that, right? We see those concepts in that, what we just read, Acts 15, 11, it said, but we believe we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will, Jews and Gentiles. And Acts 15, 9 says, and he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Okay, so there's a lot here. Like, I came up with 20 different applications for us today, and I can't get to all of them. So what we're going to do is we're going to try to get the core of the passage here by just asking three questions of it, okay? First, why is salvation through faith plus works incompatible with the gospel? And second, how is salvation through faith plus works a danger today? And third, what's the difference between being saved by good works and being saved for good works? Okay. So first, why is salvation through faith plus works incompatible with the gospel? I mean, what in the world? I mean, you got Paul in chapter 1 of Galatians. This is, he, this is strong language. He's offended by this message. What in the world? Well, salvation through faith plus works is incompatible with the gospel message because it says that Jesus did not do enough to save us. And so we must add to what Jesus did in order to reach this level of God's holiness and righteousness that we don't exactly even, our minds can't even comprehend what that level is, but that's the level we need to be at in order to be saved. But if you, if you say that you must believe in Jesus plus do anything in order to earn God's acceptance of you, then what you're saying is this. Think about the implications of this. You're saying that the life that Jesus lived without sin on earth is not enough to please God. You're saying that the earned righteousness of Jesus and perfect obedience to the law of God is not sufficient. You're saying that his righteousness cannot make you savable. And if you say that salvation comes through faith in Jesus plus your own works, what, what are you saying about the cross? What, what, why, why, what did Jesus accomplish on the cross? Well, you're saying that what Jesus accomplished on the cross was not enough to redeem his people. You're saying Jesus did not fully suffer the wrath of God toward your sin. You're saying that Jesus' death is insufficient to save humanity. You're saying that for those who are in Christ, there is still hell to pay. And you're saying, you're telling people that a person's only hope not to go to hell is either by doing enough good things in this life to hopefully pave their way out of hell to God, or by bringing enough pain on themselves in this life that somehow it will appease God's eternal wrath toward their sin. So either by suffering enough in this life or by doing enough good things, somehow I can avoid hell. 
And if you say that you can be saved through faith in Jesus plus your own works, you're saying that Jesus' resurrection from the dead was not pleasing and acceptable to God the Father. It did not declare you justified in God's sight. You're saying that Jesus' atonement for his people fell miserably short of God's standard. You're saying that the grace of God that he applies to a person when he or she is born again through faith in Jesus is not enough to unite them to Christ. It is, it is simply a contribution of grace toward a person's efforts to become united with Christ. And one reason why this idea that salvation can be attained through faith plus works, one of the reasons that it's so offensive is because it mocks God. It mocks the holiness of the one triune God. It, it devalues everything Jesus accomplished in his perfect life and substitutionary death and, and in his victorious resurrection. It, it robs Jesus of the glory that he alone deserves. When Jesus was nailed to a wooden cross on that tree outside of, on that cross outside of, of Jerusalem, and when he shouted with his dying breaths, it is finished. You've got to ask, was it really finished? Am I, am I going to totally trust Jesus and believe that he finished everything on the cross that was necessary for me to be made right with God? Or am I not going to trust Jesus and try to add to what he did in his life and on the cross and in his resurrection? You've got to choose. Do you trust him or not? When John the Baptist saw Jesus at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, we read about in the Gospel of John, and he saw Jesus and he pointed to him, he said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Was that a true statement or not? Was Jesus truly the Lamb of God who took away the sin of those who would trust in him? Or was Jesus just like all the other lambs that had been slaughtered for sin, that did not entirely take away our sins. See, if you believe that you must do anything besides trusting in Jesus' work to make you right with God, then you do not believe Jesus is the Lamb of God who took away the sin of the world. In your opinion, this is what happens. Jesus, at best, wipes away some of your sin and leaves the rest for you to clean up yourself. And that's ridiculous. And that, it does not work with the gospel. It does not work with the word grace. Because if you, this is what Paul says. He wrote this. If you can save yourself, Jesus' death on the cross was pointless. <laughs> this is what he said to Galatians, in the, the Christians in Galatia. I did not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. See, the, the teaching that God will accept us if we trust in Jesus and also do certain good works, this is not good news at all to anybody. In fact, this is not news at all. This is old news. That's what people have been doing for thousands of years to try to appease God, and it hasn't worked. The false, this, this false teaching is not good news. It says that Jesus is not who he said he was. He, he's not who the prophet said he was. He's not who the angel said he was. He's not who God the Father declared him to be at his baptism and at his transfiguration. It, it says that Jesus did not accomplish what 
he was promised, that he promised he would accomplish. It says that, that there's no true hope for you and me after this life. It says for Christians, you can have no assurance in that God will save you because it's on your shoulders now. And that means there's certainly no time for you or me to rest. <laughs> Mentally, physically, spiritually. There's no time to rest if our salvation's on our shoulders. If your salvation is up to you, then you better be the best person this world has ever seen. <laughs> and then you still don't have assurance that you'll go to heaven. Your best is not good enough for God. And if you think it is, you have no idea how holy God is. And we don't. We don't really understand how holy he is. Our minds can't grasp it. But to think that somehow we could reach that level on our own, it is offensive and foolish. Our best is not good enough for God. Not because he's condescending in any way, but because he's so holy and perfect. Only God's best is good enough for God. Only God is good enough for God. And so this is his message. Trust in God in the grace that he gives to you in his son Jesus Christ because that's the only way you can be saved. Paul writes in Galatians 2, 15 to 16, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law because by works of the law, no one will be justified. How many different ways can he say this, right? By the works of the law, no one will be justified. No one will be saved. A person is justified and saved through faith in Jesus Christ alone. That's the gospel. And any other message is a false gospel and it is incompatible with the grace that God offers humanity in Jesus Christ. All right, so that brings us to the second question. How is this message of salvation through faith plus works a danger today? <clears throat> the message of every world religion at its core really is work, work, work until you dig yourself out of your hole of sin, okay? Now, I want to watch a, a video here that is going to illustrate why this doesn't work, okay? A man fell in a hole. He fell in a hole and he couldn't get out. A traveler passed by. He told the man to meditate, to purify his mind, and when he reached Nirvana, all suffering would cease. As he was told, but he remained in the hole. Another man appeared. He explained that the hole didn't exist, and neither, in fact, did the man. It was all an illusion. The man who did not exist was still stuck in the hole that was not there. Another visitor arrived. He instructed the man to perform good deeds. 
efforts to improve his karma, and though he would still die in the hole, he might be reincarnated as something magnificent. Another man looked down from above. He taught the man to pray five times a day facing east and to follow five important tenets. If he was faithful, one day, perhaps, the divine would set him free. The man prayed as best he could, but he was losing strength, and in the hole he remained. So if we were to talk about this idea of salvation by uh, through faith plus works, what you would say is, well, es essentially, okay, if you trust in Jesus but you need to add works, Jesus did the work of throwing the rope down in the hole, but it's still your job to climb up. And what we say is, uh-uh. <laughs> this is what Jesus said. You can't climb up. He's like, you need me to bear you on my back, and I'm going to lift you up out of sin. That's the message of the gospel. You have to be united to Jesus and pulled out of sin, okay? Um, and um, what happens is, though, <coughs> this, this message of salvation by grace through faith, as soon as we leave the Bible, as soon as we stop reading the Bible, as soon as we move away from the Bible, our default nature kicks in to say it can't be, it, the gospel can't be that glorious, that easy. We must do something. We must do something. And church history, from, if you just look at church history for the past 100 to 150 years, uh, Mormonism was started in the past couple centuries, Jehovah's Witnesses, you go back further back to the 1500s, Roman Catholicism, well, that's when the Protestants split off from there. You keep going back. And this has been this core issue of all of it. What saves you? Is it faith in Jesus Christ, the Son of God? Or is it something else? And this was the key issue that, that, that at least in the Christian tradition, um, this is why so many Christians broke off from Roman Catholicism in, in the 16th uh, and 17th century. And the reason I say this is not at all to knock on the Roman Catholics, but because it's very important for you to know we don't believe the same things. That's all. I love talking to people of different religions and different 
backgrounds. But I think it's very important to, it's just good to say, we don't agree on this. And that's okay, we know where we stand. But it's a problem if people say, mislead others by saying, uh, we are Christians. Or we, we do believe that when you don't. Um, and, and so I'm not saying that anybody who attends a Roman Catholic church isn't saved. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying, um, well, let's watch R.C. Sproul. I'll let R.C. Sproul say it for us. We've got a short video. In the Roman Catholic view, it is faith plus works that gives us justification. It is grace plus merit that gives us justification. It is Christ plus me and my inherent righteousness that gives me justification. That's the formula in a nutshell. The reformers objected strenuously to this and said, no, uh, this is crossed out by the reformers, this is crossed out by the reformers, and my inherent righteousness is crossed out so that you have faith alone, grace alone, Christ alone. Yeah. So that, that's really the big difference, and that is where we would disagree. Um, not just with Roman Catholicism, but with any, any system that says you must do something to contribute to your own salvation. Um, what this means biblically, and what this means for you and me, is that what faith is, is believing that Jesus makes you acceptable to him. He makes you righteous in God's sight. He gives you his own righteousness that he earned for you in his perfect life and imputed to you on the cross, and that that is transferred to you through faith. You trust in him. It means you can't rely on yourself, and that idea is very scary to all of us, right? Because we want to do something. Like, I feel better if I just, if I just tangibly can, you know, do these prayer beads or something. I feel like I did something to add to my salvation. If I went and helped that person on the corner, well, when I meet God on the last day, I can say, you remember that person I helped? Right? It's this idea that I can do something, and surely that must be what God is going to judge me by. And God has said, well, what Jesus said in John three sixteen, I didn't come to condemn you. I came because you're already condemned. <laughs> you need a savior. Um, and so what this means is that we really, all of us need to wrap our ideas around this idea that God loves us and he loved us first. And we can't earn him. We, we can't make him love us. We can't talk him into it. We can't talk him into making ourselves acceptable. It's a gift of God's grace to us in Jesus Christ. Um, and what happens is we've seen in the church here. Right, well, let me give you, okay, I wasn't going to say this, but I'll throw this in real quick. So this is another mentality that we could say. Well, <clears throat> why risk it? Why, like, for instance, the Roman Catholic system, in their catechism, they would teach that you're saved through baptism. That's why babies have to be baptized. Well, why risk it? Like, why not just play our odds best, right? It's like, what's it going to hurt to get baptized? And you know what Paul says? He says, well, in their day, they were saying, well, why not just get circumcised? He said, uh, I want you to emasculate yourselves if you think that's the route you need to go. 
If you're going to do that, go the whole way. And guess what? You're going to be a hurting unit, and you're still not going to be saved. <laughs> okay? That's what Paul says. You're, you can't save yourself. You need Jesus. <laughs> and, and, it's, and it's just such a great message because it, it means God loves us. This isn't just this abstract thing. It means, wow, God really loves me. He really wants me. Wow, this is amazing. And what I would tell you this week, just camping out on this idea, is uh, if you haven't read the book of Galatians, it's a short book, you really should read it this week. It takes less than a half hour to read. It's only five or six chapters. But I encourage you to read that so you can see Paul's heart for this gospel and that people would, would get it. But what happened here and what we see in this passage is that not believing in the gospel of grace divides a church. And that's what was happening in Antioch. And it, and it creates schisms and different categories of Christians and different levels of, of value of, of different people depending on who they are, what they've done. And, and the gospel just cuts right through that. and It says, uh, you're all sinners. God loves you in his grace. He offers you salvation in Jesus Christ. And so uh, it doesn't matter if you're a Jew or Gentile. It doesn't matter if you're a banker or if you're a slave. It doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman. God loves you, and the only way you can be saved is through faith in Jesus. And, and that's just such a beautiful message, and that's the truth of the gospel. Now, anything, listen, it, uh, there, there, there are all sorts of religious systems that would formally say that you have to be saved through faith plus works. But there's also, listen, we can believe that right here sitting in our own chairs as, as Christians here in this room. Functionally, we can be thinking, well, God must be really upset with me and I must not be acceptable to him because I haven't read the Bible in three days. And that means I'm not gonna have his blessing. I'm not, you know, I'm just not, in a, I'm not in a good place with God and I'm not acceptable to him and, Guess what? Reading the Bible five days instead of three days doesn't make you acceptable to him. Jesus makes you acceptable to him. Um, you know, you can beat yourself up over the foolish decisions you've made in the past and how you've hurt other people and how you've hurt yourself. And, and, and maybe if I just spend my whole life lamenting and feeling terrible about that, it will somehow God will accept me and know that I feel really bad about it. And you know what, it doesn't matter if you spend your whole life feeling terrible and getting by as an alcoholic or drugs or whatever addiction you have to TV or food or whatever, that can't make you right with God. And it can't take away your own sorrow and your own shame and your own past. You need Jesus to do that for you, and he's glad to do that for you. And that only comes through faith in Jesus. It doesn't come through works. It doesn't come through your own suffering. It comes through the suffering Jesus already did for you. <clears throat> we all need Jesus. We're really hopeless without him. I, I was just thinking about this whole idea. I mean, I'm just, um, you know, we've had some saints in our own congregation, some, some wonderful Christians pass away just recently. Get, um, you know, they mean a lot to us. And I, I'm just uh, so thankful that they knew the gospel and trusted in Jesus. I can't imagine facing my own death if I didn't, believe in the sufficiency of Jesus Christ and his death and resurrection I'd be scared to death of death 
wow, Jesus takes the stinger out of death for us. It hurts, but it doesn't have power over us in Christ anymore. We can approach death saying, man, I get to see the author and finisher of my faith real soon. And that takes faith, right? It takes faith. It takes faith to believe that on your deathbed. And so, so obviously, even in our faith, none of us have perfect faith. We're not saved by the quality of our faith. We're saved by the quality of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And so when we are faithless, confess that, and we continually turn to God and say, God, I need faith. And we pray for one another that God would give each other, give, give this family faith as they go through this hard time, Lord. Give me faith as I, as I go through this hard time. And so, so anyways, faith, this whole idea of, of grace through faith, is, it's pretty mind-blowing um, when you consider who it's from, the holy God of the universe. But it is reality, and it's been proven historically through the physical life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, who's alive and reigning right now. Okay, and the third question uh, for today is this. What's the difference between being saved by good works and being saved for good works? Um, you see, because eternal life with God comes because of, of his grace and it's received through faith, we can get a little confused about what to do with all the commands God gives us in Scripture. Um, and specifically in the, in the New Testament is what I'm talking about here. And, and there's basically two polar opposite errors that people have historically made when it comes to understanding the commands Jesus has given us. And, and one error is to try to, uh, to follow every command in Scripture so, so well that you think that doing that, God will accept you. And that error is called legalism. And it means you're saved by following the law. And, and the second error is to think that on the, on the polar opposite side is that, that God's commands really are no longer important or necessary since salvation is by God's grace. It's not by my own works. So these commands really don't matter. And that, that is called antinomianism or anti-law. You're against the law. You're against God's commands. And that teaching has really corrupted many people by teaching them not to obey God's most basic commands, like be baptized and forgive one another and don't commit sexual sin. Well, it doesn't matter if I do that anymore. I'm forgiven by grace, right? Well, there's nothing honorable about disobeying God. It's evil to disobey God. It is the definition of sin to disobey God. God gives us commands so that it will go well for us. And so at the same time, we will, be, uh, we will bring him glory by enjoying his grace forever. That's why he gives us commands. And uh, Seeking to obey Jesus and his commands is central to being a disciple. I mean, this is, right, the great, the great commission. What did he say? Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have what? Commanded. You need to teach people to obey me. Well, the gospel of Jesus says this. It says that none of us can be saved by our good works. However, God created us to do good works. This is interesting. If you, if you read Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 like we did earlier, you also need to read verse 10, which finishes out Paul's thought there. Let's read it again. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. 
For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So verses 8 and 9 here, Paul writes that we're saved by grace through faith, not by our own works. And then verse 10, Paul says God created us in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do, to do good works. Isn't that amazing? I mean, if you're a Christian, God prepared good works for you to do, and he did that in advance before you were here. You have purpose here. God wants to use you for his glory in this place. And so why do we do good works? Well, we, we don't do good works to, to try to save ourselves from hell or to try to get God to accept us uh, because we know that our human works don't have that kind of power uh, before a holy, the holy God of the universe. We do good works because God created us to do good works for the glory of his name. We love others with the love of Christ because it is the natural overflow of being filled with Christ and with his love. We obey Jesus' commands because we want to worship him. We want to bring him glory. We obey Jesus because we want to become holy like he is holy. Not, not to try to add to what he did. See, uh, for instance, where we would differ with others is, is that uh, getting baptized, we don't believe biblically, adds one ounce to Jesus' suffering and death on the cross for you. Instead, because Jesus suffered and died on the cross for you, and then he rose from the dead and commanded you to be baptized, you obey him and get baptized to obey him and to glorify him and to celebrate your salvation. That's why. And the same goes with the Lord's Supper, right? Taking the Lord's Supper, which we're not doing today, but it, it doesn't make you pure. It doesn't keep you saved. It doesn't transform you into an acceptable person before God's sight. Instead, because Jesus suffered and died on the cross for us, if you trust in Jesus through faith, then now you're obeying God by taking the Lord's Supper because he gave you the privilege of doing that. And he told you to do that to remember the gospel, to remember his death and resurrection and that he's coming again. So teenagers, being kind to, to people at school cannot save you. Parents, I mean, being kind to our coworkers and neighbors cannot save us. Being patient with your spouse and your children and your relatives cannot save you. Being disciplined spiritually cannot save you. Giving your money to the church and to the poor cannot save you. Forgiving one another and being reconciled to one another does not make you any more acceptable to God. But all of those things are things God commands you to do. And we should do them if we're disciples of Jesus. We don't do good works to be saved. We do good works because God created us for those good works. And so it is... When we believe this, it's, it's, our, it's our Holy Spirit-filled faith in this gospel message that fuels us to do good works and to share this love of Christ, which we have been recipients of, and to spread his, his gospel of grace. And we know that even when we sin, and even when we fall short of doing all these things, Christ has covered our sin already. And so we acknowledge our sin to God, we repent from it, we trust in Jesus, and we keep pursuing those good works he's called us and prepared us to do. Boy, there is, 
I guess I would want you to know this, and I think this is what Paul says in First John to the readers, or sorry, what John says in First John, is uh, um, we do not preach a gospel of easy, easy believism, which means uh, which means simply, okay, I prayed a prayer when I was five that I, that I trust God and I have that piece of paper, and so that means I'm going to heaven. That's not a ticket. It's not how it works. But if that ticket is an indicator of authentic faith in Jesus, then you are saved. And the result of that, li- of that declaration of your faith is going to be a life growing in a desire to know Jesus and to make him known. And I, w- I would want you to know that you can be assured of the sufficiency of Christ's precious blood and atonement for you if you trust in him alone. You can be sure that you will meet God if you trust in Christ alone. And what I just said is heresy according to a lot of people who I don't think believe the Bible. But if you believe the Bible and the teaching of the apostles and that God inspired the New Testament then this, this is a radical message that Jesus paid it all. He did it all for you. Trust in him alone and delight in him. And if you haven't put your faith in the gospel today or if you want, if you want more information about Jesus or just kind of work this out or talk about it, man, I would love to talk to you more. We've got a bunch of people in this room who would love to talk to you. So I would just encourage you to, man, if you're, wherever you're at in your spiritual journey, chew on this. Chew on this idea of grace. And, and uh, don't just say, oh, I've got to go watch ESPN here. I've got to get home. It's like, man, this is way more important than whatever you're doing this afternoon. I guarantee you. And so wrestle with the Lord today. Wrestle with these thoughts today. And just know that he loves you. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you uh, for your gospel of grace, which you give to us in Jesus Christ alone. And um, we contribute nothing to the work that you have done. So we have no grounds to boast. There's nothing that we can boast in except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, <clears throat> in one sense, that can, that can be a little nerve-wracking because it means, wow, I'm totally in the hands of God. And at the same time, there's no other place I want to be. And I totally trust you, Jesus. And um, we just thank you that uh, your promises are stronger than our faith. Your finished work is greater um, and sufficient to pay the, the cost for all of our sins. Um, that nothing on earth or in heaven or in hell can separate us from the love of Christ that is in Jesus, um, uh, uh, that is in our Lord Jesus Christ. And so... God, I just pray that we would be able to, to believe you when you tell us that your, your yoke is easy and your burden is light, and that's because you carried it for us. You became our sin for us. You paid what we should have paid, and you rose in, from, from dead, from the death and victory, and you united us to yourself. And, and we trust in you. We just have no other hope. We want to glorify your name, celebrate what you've done. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.